I'm not leaving this morning, but I'm going for security. Um, this week, I had the uh, special privilege of visiting the chiropractor, <coughs> which he uh, at that point told me to uh, take about five days rest on my back, and I might be able to get to where I would be okay again. And so uh, here I am, and I'm trying my best to get my five days rest. So, um, having this chair does help. Sunday morning worship for me is always a special experience because on one hand, you want it to be enjoyable, you want it to be uplifting and encouraging, you want to be challenged, you want to come in contact with the Creator God who has brought us together. In one sense, you want to be Humbled, you want to be spiritually in tune with God. We have a, a need to, to be honest with ourselves and with others for who we are. We need the support and encouragement of our brothers and sisters as a family. There are so many things tied to what worship is. At the same time, I've been to churches where... Basically, the pastor was there entertaining us, and he had all kinds of exciting little doodads and, and ways of communicating that sounded very exciting, but I kept wondering where the Spirit of God was in the experience. But you know, the song we just sang, From the Inside Out, is very much that type of a challenge to say, if it's not from our core that we come together to worship God, we're missing something when we come together to worship. And uh, I, hope, I hope we can find joy and excitement, a happiness, a positive experience, even as we are dead serious about the fact that we've gathered together as a family to give praise that we have eternal life because God cared enough to send Jesus Christ to this world to become our Savior and Lord. That is an exciting thing. But you know, what I tend to see, it seems like, are, are stories where we see a minister gets up and he, he looks like he's about as unhappy as could possibly be to follow Jesus. We don't want to go there. On the other hand, you don't want a silly minister. And in the same way, same thing for you in your walk with Christ. We need to have joy as we know, we have found something important. At the same time, the teachings of Christ are dead serious. So, I think it's something we have to all balance in our lives. And today, basically, I was struggling over what the name of this kind of a sermon should be. Because, really, one of the topics I said for a title was from Luke 14, 8 to 11. Can I gain control of my ego? Then I started thinking about that title, and I thought, well, I don't know about that one. I don't know what the title it should be. But certainly, as the Scripture just indicated, humility is something that Christ calls of us. He expects, He places it on our lives. He asks us to be that way. But I, maybe I should ask the question, do you even want to gain control of your ego? You know, the... The Occidental culture versus the Oriental culture is quite different. The Western culture and the Eastern culture. 
Um, in, the, in, the, in the Western culture, it seems like if you don't share a fairly significant uh, sense of self-confidence, people tend to think of you as being weak. You know, this thing about being a, a, an extrovert and an introvert. Uh, many people think being an extrovert is a sign of your strength. In the Oriental culture, tends to be a little bit different than that. And when you come across too strong, you come across as quite prideful. So the definitions in what, it, what should be right and what should be wrong get confusing. And certainly, and I've enjoyed every minute of it, at VCBC we see a mix of it all. And we're all blended together. And one time a person's this way and the next, and you begin to say, are we all schizophrenic? The answer may be yes. You know, but it's it's fun to be around our church because you never know what kind of uh, personality response you're going to get from almost anybody. And sometimes the same person, give them 20 minutes, they're different. But by definition, when we think about what is an ego, do we want to control our ego? Usually we think about pridefulness, self-esteem, self-respect. But basically ego, by definition, is an opinion of yourself. It's an opinion you have about yourself. Um, I don't know how you are about that, but quite honestly, for me, the word self-respect um, has a quite a uh, actually has a pretty positive connotation that goes through my mind when I hear that word. Person is self-respectful is um, not saying I am whole I'm not really so capable of doing everything, but I at least recognize I need to be a person who is successful, who does things in an appropriate way. I have enough intelligence to know the difference between right and wrong. And I make decent decisions most of the time. But uh, when we think about a person that's prideful, we think about a person, quite honestly, that very often tends to think that they can do everything right and may not have that high a percentage. They may be making a few more uh, mistakes than they ever imagined. But certainly they come across with a certain air that makes other people uncomfortable. I'd like for us to look at Jesus some today. And I'm going to give some other scriptures, but we are going to go back to that Luke passage, I promise you. Mark 1.11 says, he was, it was right after Christ was baptized, and God was pleased in His beloved Son. The modeling of Christ going and being baptized, knowing that Jesus had not repented of sins, because He didn't have any sin. He still came forward and said, I need to be baptized as a model for others. So you'll understand what it is to go under and to come out of the water and be a new creature. It's a modeling. It's a way of explaining a story. It's a way of communicating. It's a way for you to understand that I relate to you. It was very much a humbling experience. Jesus didn't need it, but He did it. Mark 1, 13. He was tempted of Satan for 40 days, and then He rested. He experienced life. When we think of Jesus, he, he did know what it was to be tempted. He did know what it was like to be around sin and to be around people day in and day out that were making mistakes. 
that were committing sins. He walked the streets. He saw what people were like. He dealt with the Pharisees. He dealt with the Sadducees. He dealt with the Essenes. He knew what it was like to be around people that were just straight up opposed to God. Mark 1.17, he called others to follow him to become fishers of men. The model we see in Jesus is self-confidence here. Now remember today's topic is humility. It has to do with our ego. But Jesus was self-confident. He modeled something for us. Not that self-confidence is evil. Not that self-confidence is prideful. Not that self-confidence is sinful but that we've got to be certain that self-confidence is really God-confidence. Mark 1, 24-26, he performed miracles of cleansing and spirits. He was brave. He was caring. He saw the needs of others. He stepped in and he did things that were beyond the expectations of others out of care and love. Mark 1, 30-31, he healed Simon's mother-in-law. He had empathy with those that hurt. Mark 3, 1-8, he healed on the Sabbath and became impatient with the Pharisees that were so rule-oriented, law-oriented, that they were unwilling to even be sensitive to the feelings and the needs of man. He reminded the people that he walked with that people were created by God and therefore important. And reaching out in care is a good thing. That wasn't for him a sign of pride to help those people. It was a sign of responsibility. See, sometimes we, we confuse these ego, pride kind of thinking uh, with actual caring and responsibility. Mark 14.30 He knew the future and what Peter would do in denying him. He was patient. He knew full well what Judas was going to do in denying him. We knew what Peter was going to do in denying him. He knew the way that people were going to respond. He knew what he was dealing with when he dealt with the Pharisees and Sadducees. But it still did not stop him from reaching out to people. Jesus had a realistic picture of himself. He knew his role. And he was willing to push on to make his life a true contribution to society. That's the challenge we have. He allowed nothing to stop him from his task. He had focus. Yet his ego or his opinion of himself was not unrealistic or prideful. Because again, Jesus didn't have sin to deal with. He had the temptation. It was thrown at him left and right. Satan wanted to see Jesus fall. Oh, Jesus had temptation. Jesus had problems. Jesus had struggles. But Jesus still proved to us it's possible to not always accept all those temptations. Why would we have a problem with pride and ego? I would say sin is probably a lot of our problem. I probably should point out that the term ego is not really a negative term. And I'm pointing that out because I tend to think of it as a negative term. We all have an ego. But when 
our self-understanding develops a prideful or a self-absorbed confidence, then that ego becomes imbalanced. To have a view of yourself is not bad. But when that view becomes too focused on itself and not caring of the needs of others, we do have a problem. We can begin to see our presence as vital to the success or failure of events in which we are involved. That is an ego that is a little bit inflated. A prideful ego is a dangerous thing and can destroy a person, a friendship, a church, a marriage, etc. Pride is an illness and it exaggerates a person's self-understanding. Many years ago, I had two friends that uh, were very, very dedicated Christians. Each week they taught Sunday school in their church. They married when they were around 20, very young. Uh, in their 20s, they had a time when uh, they had a friend that came to stay and live with them for about six months. And this friend was one that was looking for a job or looking for housing or something, but uh, needed a place to stay for a period of time. About ten years later, when they were all when time had gone on and they were in their latter thirties, there was an argument that broke out between the couple. And um, I'm sure that in your family you've never seen an argument or had an argument with your husband or wife, but for some of us who are a little bit more human, we every now and then do have disagreements. My, I keep trying to tell my wife that I'm always right and she's always wrong. Somehow there's a problem there. And um, the argument broke out, and somewhere in the argument it came out that ten years earlier she had had an affair with that guy who had stayed in their home for six months. Her prideful ego had her thinking that she, as a Sunday school teacher, would never fall to such. She thought she was beyond any of those kind of temptations. You know, we all tend to dream that other people, surely that person is such a spiritual dynamite. He walks with Jesus in a way that I could only dream to walk with Jesus. Remember, Satan's greatest targets are those people. You know, for him to get one of us who is just weak and we have a good day and a bad day, it's not a big deal. But if he can get someone that everybody respects as a follower of Christ to fall, to trip, to make a mistake. The result, gradually in this case, as a period of a couple of years went by, a divorce came after 20 years of marriage. She thought she could handle it. He thought they could handle it. He thought we were beyond this because we've taught it in Sunday school. We know what the right and wrong issues are. It was not an issue of what they knew in their heads. It was an issue of who Jesus was in their lives from the inside out. An uncontrolled ego is an instrument of destruction to either yourself or others. Luke 4, 8 to 11. We just read the scripture. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person 
more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who has invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When we look at Scripture, cultural context is something we always are concerned about. And yet, as I looked at this Scripture, I had to recognize this particular Scripture doesn't demand deep, deep, deep understanding of the environment. Certainly, we know that Christ was in the home of a Pharisee. He was talking about some different issues. In the first few verses there, he's dealing with a Pharisee being a significant, serious, follower of their religion. So being religious is no guarantee. But Jesus dared in that environment, again, talking about ego and knowing himself. Jesus did something that most of us would be a little reluctant to do. If you're in in, in a home of someone that's uh, pretty versed, as this man would be in the Torah and the Old Testament Scripture, to try to challenge him and to start saying, you know, you've been looking at that scripture that way, but that's maybe not exactly right. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. You know, Jesus went right after it. The good news was Jesus knew the scripture well enough to be able to bring forth topics that were important. A few years ago, I was working as the International Academic Dean Uh, and director for an educational corporation and two universities in China. While I was there, I had opportunity to go to different campuses, and I had about 27 teachers placed on three different universities. And I had great experiences with them, but I can still remember each year we would have these new new teachers that would come in. Went to one particular campus in Wuhan where we had eight new teachers come in. And when an A2 new teacher showed up, oh, it was really going to be exciting. The president of the university and several other deans had decided to to give them a special banquet. And this campus had about 12,000 students on it. So we, I got there to the, uh, the location of the banquet prior to the rest of the, uh, the people, I thought, only to walk in and find my eight teachers were already there. And they had already staked out their spot. And of course having just freshly come from the West, they were trying their best to find the appropriate place to sit in the room. So what they did, of course, was crowd in over in the corner that was kind of out right behind the back of the table, but of course, absolutely faced, the, faced outward. There was a wall on both sides and was facing the door. Basically, it's what's normally classified as the seat of honor. And they were right in the right, the, just in the, best spot you could possibly imagine. And I walked in and saw them, and naturally I kind of went into panic. And so I, I said, oh my goodness, okay, they're not here yet. We've got five more minutes. I said, guys, I need to talk to you for just a minute. Here's the deal. Um, you're actually sitting in the, the seat that really the president of the school should be sitting in, and he's got a couple of deans coming. They're the ones that really appropriately should be there. So if I can get you to move right around here on this side, kind of with your back to the door, and that kind of, it would be much better. So they all picked up their glass. Of course, they'd already been drinking their water and everything. Okay, switching cups around. Everything gets moved. Everything got settled. And about five minutes later, the president, a couple of people come in. 
what's the very first thing they do? They walk in and say, oh, no, 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 no. You should sit there. You should sit there. What do my eight American students do? Or my eight American teachers? They just get up and say, okay, then we will. And they moved right back. So I was watching cultural, cultural setting and environment impact the what all was going on around me. Afterward, I talked to them and I explained. Now look, here's the deal. It's kind of what we call hot hate. You know, Chinese, Chinese politeness. I said, they're always going to tell you that you're supposed to sit over there. But you're supposed to say no and you stay where you are. And I said, but you just packed up and they said, yeah, but we just thought, well, he asked. I said, yes, he did. And so you begin to realize culture really does impact a lot of things in our world. When we look at Luke 14, we have to realize that there's so much in this particular scripture that we can learn from. Because we can see that Jesus had the confidence to do what he needed to do. And he said things in a way that was appropriate for Jesus to say. And probably wouldn't necessarily go across for all of us. Yet Jesus was using his society and his culture as a teaching tool. He knew that this would communicate the issue of pride. And he said, you know, you're going to have to learn to be sensitive to the environment in which we live. Why would Paul, in Romans 12, 3, give a similar reminder? It says, to every man that is among you, do not think of yourself more highly than he ought to think. For it is always better to be asked up than to be asked down. Apparently, those people in the culture 2,000 years ago had problems that we still got today. People who like to, um, you know, we like to think that we make a difference. We like to think that we deserve certain things. We tend to want to investigate cultural context for, for grasping the true meaning of Scripture and this is a correct thing to do, but there are times when that cultural context may cause us a little bit of a struggle. In Luke 14, Jesus is using cultural example um, that was understood by the masses to be able to provide this communication. There is a, a kind of an ego-based pride that we, we need to be careful of as individuals. I'm looking today at two kinds of ego pride. One is dealing with us as individuals. One is us as a church. Culture impacts our ego, but since it has been around throughout man's existence, I'm one who has a question whether or not you actually can control. Now, I don't know if Jack's here today or not. It always makes me nervous. There's Jack. Okay, Jack, here we go. Risky though I am. Uh, the, the issue, whether we can actually control our ego or not, I think we can do things that impact our ego. We can limit its influence, but actually controlling, I don't know. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Brothers and sisters, we're reading this scripture today so that hopefully you will be with a spiritual mirror in your hand looking at yourself and asking, is this me that we're talking about? Do I ever have problems being a little bit more egotistical, a little bit more prideful than I should be. The scripture again, First Timothy, uh, First uh, Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may do the exalting of you. Your position is in His hands, not your own. Micah 6, 8. I have a son named Micah. It was very much after this scripture. 
What does God require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? We are to give effort to be humble. And still we have to recognize we are sinful and our efforts may not always have the exact result we want. Matthew twenty three twelve. Whoever exalts himself will be abased, and he that humbles himself will be exalted. Position for us is important in that we're reminded to seek with all effort to be less judgmental, opinionated, and prideful in how we see ourselves and how we see others. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The warnings of Scripture remind us that church leaders also must be careful. That doesn't just say pastors, church leaders. Any of us in this church have responsibilities. We have responsibilities in the basement, on this floor, in the building. We have responsibilities even as we go forth today in picking up trash on Victoria Drive. We are a witness. We are a testimony. We may have studied and taught the Bible for years, but we all can learn from this. There is none in this room who is totally able to avoid the dangers of ego-based pride. The Pharisees, who had listened to the Scriptures and studied the Scriptures throughout their whole lives, still argued with the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots. They had different, if you will, denominations Even in those days, groups with different ideas on different things dealing with Scripture. These were people who were very, very serious about their faith. And yet, they struggled for application. You know, they they, they could know the, the Scripture, use the Scripture, but applying it to their lives in love and in care, They had difficulty. Let us not be easily captured by thinking that our commentaries, that our seminary degrees or years of faith necessarily reflect us to be a man or woman of complete maturity in Christ. My friends that I mentioned a few minutes ago, I will truly tell you, knew the Bible better than anybody in this room. From the time they were 20 until the time they were 40, they were teachers of Sundays. They knew how to use the Scripture. They had studied it with their lives. And yet, Satan was loving it because he had worked his way into their lives to confuse the matter. No one in this room, no one in this room is beyond the risk of that type of sin coming into our hearts. To be a spiritual person means to be an honest person. If you want to be a spiritual person, don't deceive yourself into thinking you're beyond reach of our ego and our pride. A truly repentant heart, meaning a contrite, penitent, regretful, remorseful, or sorry heart, is one that has no no choice but to be humble. And this helps control the ego with the realities of our sinful habits and values. A number of years ago, I worked in Macau. I loved Macau in those days, unlike today, in that it was a very backwater place. I liked the simplicity of Macau. I loved the cobblestone streets. I loved the little tiny restaurants that were scattered here, there, and yon. 
It was a place you could go in, you could talk to people. They always had time for you. And it was an opportunity for you to get to know people. The, the Macau that exists today, quite different. But I remember Mr. Lee was a teacher at Pui Jing. And he taught in the Pui Jing High School, which is a Baptist high school in Macau. One of the better schools. Their language, they taught only in Cantonese. Um, and so it was a very interesting experience for me to teach there and work there. But my, my, my friend, Mr. Lee, was about 60 years of age, and he was a coin collector. And his coin collecting was something that he wanted somehow to share with me. He had a daughter several years older than myself, but he taught me about coins, and I still have his coins. I still carry some of his coins. Um, and uh, so he had a great impact on me. But he was a man that, that showed uh, love and care. He was always teaching me new words in Cantonese. And I was always learning words that I had never heard before because a lot of it was Jong Sanwa from Jong San, and it was a little different. Just meme day, you know, just more or less Cantonese, but had its own unique flavor. But it was a wonderful time to be with him. And it was always fun because we would walk the streets and he'd always hold my hand. And I can remember the first time he grabbed my hand, I thought, this is kind of strange. And then after that, if he didn't hold my hand, I felt uncomfortable. Because I realized that was his way of saying, I love you and I appreciate you and we're close. And he would walk and we would talk. And he would share with me about different things. I learned how to play mahjong from him. And I still only get the, you know, I learned something, you know, that's really gambling. Um, but uh, my mahjong was always just, uh, you know, the, the guy war. You know, so I never, I didn't learn very much because I didn't gamble with any money. So it was never, but he taught me about Confucianism. He taught me about dog racing. Um, he taught me about the Chinese community in Macau, the Portuguese community. But most of all, I learned what a Chinese gentleman was like and how much he was willing to serve and share with me as he poured his life into me. His commitment to Christ was very serious. He was a very, very humble teacher. In comparison to him, or in contrast, I should say, a number of years ago I had an opportunity to work with a, a church in the United States for a period of four and a half years. Uh, for the first two and a half years, the Anglo church, I was pastoring a Chinese congregation tied to this church that we'd started. And the Anglo church, though, had a, a religious education director who um, just, uh, he had gotten caught up in the American dream. He had a doctor's degree. He had a master's degree. He had a bachelor's degree. But one day I was in his office, I looked on the wall and saw what they were, and I started investigating. I said, you know, that looks strange to me. Gradually, I learned that the degrees were, had no more value than the paper on the wall because they were all fake degrees. But the guy was being paid based on his doctorate. And I was so disappointed for the church, and I was certainly struggling with that because personally, I, I knew as a minister within the church or even connected to the church, for me to say anything would be awkward. 
But in, in that man's testimony, I saw a man that somehow, instead of just simply saying, I want God to use me for all that I am, however I am, with whatever degrees I've had, I found a man that said, I've got to find a way to make myself better at all costs. And the way I'm going to do it is in a way that is not really a reputable way. You see, our ego can take us some bad ways, can take us on some bad paths. And our ego, our pride, when it becomes unhealthy, can take us down a road that harms others. It's not something you do in isolation. Our ego and how we handle life impacts how we work with other people. And when we think about the ego, ego-based pride, we have to think about how it impacts the church. The Luke passage is specifically to remind us of, that any individual about his or her position in Christ should be considered. But in the same way, it reminds me that our church needs to be careful. Because this illness can go over. You know, right now the, in Korea, they've got this MERS issue going on with that, that, Ill, that, that uh, virus that's being spread. Well, of course, we're talking about those people coming back. We were actually originally planning to have one of the men that was, uh, is over there at this time come back and lead our Cantonese congregation's retreat in a couple of weeks. That has been changed. But the concern was that he might bring us a gift we didn't want. And so it's, it's just that when we have things in our lives, we have to hope that what we're giving to others is something people do want, something that's healthy, not something that's unhealthy. Egotistical pride can destroy a testimony. When we think we are beyond temptation, Satan smiles and says, of course you're beyond. You're okay. Our spiritual growth is important to us as individuals, but is also important to us corporately. Have you ever met someone that can always tell you what your problems are spiritually, but maybe blind to their own weaknesses? We're here at VCBC, Christ's body. Our goal is to be VCBC, for us to know who we are and find out what our role is in being effective in our witness to others. We should be thankful when we have successfully done something, but never prideful. Psalms 101.5 says, Him will I cut off that has a high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. You and I are part of a greater body. Where you choose to sit at the wedding table is important. How we function in society is important. It needs to be from our hearts, not just from pretense. I mentioned the university president who was forced to sit with his back to the door. In the end, I used this experience to open doors that uh, related to cultural differences in thinking when he and I were talking. We talked for quite a while, and now this friend, gradually, in spite of cultural faux pas that occurred on that particular day, learned of Christ's care. I was able to use it for good, but ultimately it was headed down a strange path. Our church is imperfect, and so are you. Our prideful egos should never guide our decisions in our lives. 
We must all learn to accept our best efforts is all we may have to offer. Pride impacts our efforts and our actions as a person and as a church. My prayer for us is that we will accept the reality of ego and pride and take it as a challenge because Jesus challenged those people in that way. Let's pray. Father God, we recognize we are not the kind of people we should be. We recognize that Jesus has placed a challenge before us. He has reminded us that our society and that Satan has nothing more that he appreciates than to, uh, to take us in directions that are really not the way that you would have us go. Father, help us to be impactful in our society because of our commitment to you. Help us to be the spiritual men and women that you want us to be. Father, help us to learn, learn how to avoid judging others and look more at the spiritual mirror that has our face in it. Father God, we thank you for being our teacher in Jesus' name.